I will introduce today's speaker. Ambassador Delia Dominga Albert is the first woman career diplomat to become Secretary Minister of Foreign Affairs in Asia. She represented the Philippines in Switzerland, Romania, Hungary, Germany, and Australia. As chair of the United Nations Security Council in 2004, she introduced the agenda called the role of civil society in post-conflict peacebuilding, highlighting the role of women as peacemakers. Additionally, for her exceptional service to the country, she was conferred the presidential order of Sikatuna rank of Datu. In 2004, she was given the title of Bayarawatun Sa Pilipinas for assisting Muslim women in their search for peace and development. She received the Knights Commander's Cross of the Order of Merit with Star from the Federal, Federal Republic of Germany and the single award to celebrate 70 years of Philippine-Australia relations from the Australian government. In 2019, she was conferred with the Order of the Rising Sun Gold and Silver Star by the government of Japan. Today, me and Albert will kind of just be talking about her career in diplomacy um, and the history of the Philippines and how it impacts uh, the Philippines as a country in the modern day. So we're going to start off with the first question, which is what got you interested in international relations? Uh, my five days is first it was a dream mm -hmm. because of my exposure to books and uh, it attracted me so much. I like to read up to today. That's why I have five eyeglasses. Uh, <laughs> And then this, this exposure to an international community where I lived, and here is very international, yeah, and, and, and made me, the, the next step was a dream and then desire. I was, it was, became a great desire to, not just to know the people, but to go and see where they live, how they live, etc. And then there's so a dream, desire, and then direction. So what should I do to fulfill my dream? Yeah. So I said, well, I'll study for the foreign service. I'll study to be a diplomat because I saw this beautiful cover picture of a magazine, and she was fantastic. You know, it impressed me so much. I said, someday I'll get there. Someday, someday. you know. But it was a crazy dream. It was a crazy desire from this little town somewhere. But you never know. Yeah, but it's you know. good to have a dream. And then, okay. so dream, desire, direction. So I studied for the Foreign Service. I went to university and I, I enjoyed it. I, I love history. I like reading about people, about places. So it, it was a continuing thing, you know. It was a clear-cut direction. And then, uh, yeah, dream, desire, direction. And the fourth was determination. There were many hurdles. I was too young to take the Foreign Service exam, mm. so I had to do something after university. And luckily, my university uh, nominated me for an international student seminar in Japan. I was four years underage to enter the Foreign Service, and, mm. and uh, even underage to take the exam. So I went to Japan and uh, for an international student seminar and in the seminar I met an American girl who said, look, I'm going back to America to get married. I want somebody to take over my job to teach English in, Jap in mm -hmm. Japan. It was a very, very uh, exclusive school for girls. Mm 
And I said, I'm not a teacher, you know, I'm never taught in my life. But for the sake of it, I, I went for the interview. And then I went home, and uh, next thing I knew, they took me in. And they said, uh, okay, I'm underage to take the Foreign Service exam. I can come to Japan. And in the meantime, it was an experiment because they only had either American or British teachers. But the Japanese had a difficult time learning English. <laughs> and somebody psychologized saying, when they see a white person, they get, I'm not going to understand this person. Yeah. But if they see somebody who looks like them, perhaps they'll be more at ease to learn the language. And the experiment went for one year, and on the towards the end of one year, the school said, can you stay for five years? I said, no, <laughs> I'm going home to be a diplomat. But I said, I can stay on a yearly basis and uh, until I'm old enough to, to take the foreign service exam. So I went home, took the foreign service exam. Again, it was difficult to enter. It's a very competitive, very, very competitive, but it was a situation where, like, I went back to, after four years, I learned Japanese and I studied some Japanese architecture. I kept studying whatever I, I saw Japanese architecture was interesting, so I studied, you know. And anyway, when I got back, my university said, hey, you're back. Can you introduce the foreign minister? We're having a big... Uh, Suahai uh, International, etc. So I said, okay. And then I, I didn't know anybody because I was away for four years, but my professors knew me because I kept in touch. Always keep in touch with your teachers. Yeah. And then uh, they gave me the paper to, to read, to introduce him, and I said, oh my gosh, how dull. <laughs> and and uh, I said, uh, if you will allow me, I said, I'll make it an interesting introduction. Yeah. So I said, I'll introduce him in three languages, in English, oh. French, and Japanese. And the minister was shocked, this yeah. young girl speaking three languages. And after I came down, he said, tomorrow, I want you to come to my office. I said, why? Yeah. I want you to take over as my appointment secretary because oh, wow. you can say no in different languages. <laughs> so it was a matter of uh, where you are. It's, it's a matter of timing in terms of place, in terms of people you're with, in terms of... But the most important is your credentials. Yeah. To be the right place, the right people, but you must have the right credentials. So keep preparing, keep preparing. So that's how I started. And then I took the exam and passed it and went on mm -hmm. in my career. So it's, it's, it's and I said, uh, dream, desire, uh, uh, direction, determination, I was determined. And then when I got there, I, I think I served with dedication. So that's how the whole uh, 44 years went. I see. So that is, is your question number one. And 
diving into a bit of like the specifics. So I can't. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, diving into like a bit of the specifics of your career. How was it like becoming the first woman um, foreign minister? Yeah, it was a surprise. I did expect it. it. You know, I uh, the foreign uh, most foreign ministers around the world they're political people. They're not career like me. I'm, I'm I went through the from the bottom to the not quite the top because you're we're professionals. But the uh, foreign minister is a very political job. And I'm not a politician. And before me, there was only one uh, man who was also not a politician, who became foreign minister, but he was a very senior guy, and uh, he died. And when I was a deputy foreign minister, because I went through every step along the way, that's why I I I, I know it from from the bottom. From being a secretary, and I never thought I would take the office of the minister. Someday, never imagine. And uh, of course, because I went through all of that, I, I was confident with what I was doing. You know, experience is very important for diplomacy because not two situations are the same. Yeah, you have to learn to do. Uh, and I kept studying, I kept studying. Yeah, the list in my CV is not complete. I have more, 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 but I don't want to put everything there. I just one page and that's it. And even when I was on deputy foreign minister, I went to school in Harvard and, and you know, looking all the time, where can I improve myself? Yeah. I never stopped. Yeah. I never stopped studying. And then, uh, when the foreign minister of the Philippines died, I was in Chile mm -hmm. and I was asked to go back home. I didn't know he died and during the funeral, uh, all the foreign ministers of ASEAN were there because it was a colleague. And then the protocol officer of the president came and asked me, the, president wants to talk to you. I said, oh, you know, when the president wants to talk to you, you, you say, oh my God, what did I do, you know? And then she said, uh, after the funeral, I want you to join me with the other ministers in ASEAN for lunch, because I want to announce that you, you will take over. I was shocked. My first question was, why me? You know, I'm just myself. I never aspired to be foreign minister. And then she said, don't you want it? I said, oh, I'm, I'm honored. But at the same time, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, I had 36 years experience already. So in a way, all those years built up my confidence. So I said, okay, I accepted it. Yeah. And usually I was the only woman, I, uh, not just in ASEAN, in all of Asia, because there was no, the first, the, the important thing is that I was the first woman career diplomat to be, uh, because other countries had political foreign ministers for for a short time, like, well now of course was Aung San Suu Kyi, she was yeah. the second one after me. 
but she was everything. She was head of state, she was foreign minister, she was everything. And she's a politician. In my case, I was a professional career diplomat. Okay. But I, I felt comfortable because I knew the job from the beginning. I could talk to anyone of, of those guys, you know, because they were mainly, some of them were like the people from Laos, Cambodia, etc. They're political people. But I was professional, so I, I knew my, my thing, you know, my, my subject. So it was quite interesting because I was always the only woman. I see. But, but I never felt that I was different. I was, the, the job did not require a man or woman. The job was a job. You know, but the most important thing is to know your product, mm -hmm. which is the country. Mm -hmm. You have to be passionate about the country, and you should know about the country very well. And so, is there kind of that intersection between um, diplomacy and history? Does that did that really come through in your job? Oh yes, yes. Whatever, even my speeches, it's full of history. Yeah. I, I any speech I make, I do my own research and I look at what did we say twenty years ago? What did we do? And and you know, it's it gives you more credibility mm -hmm. because a lot of people just speak out of their heads and and nobody listens because it's 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 some there's nothing to hold on to, you know. That's why for me. The most interest, most basic thing is to know your history. I see. Mm -hmm. um, I've also noticed um, a field of study. You're, I can't. Uh, uh, sorry, I also noticed a field. Sorry, my mask just muffles everything. Um, I noticed a field. Yeah, I can't understand because of the mask. Uh. Yeah, um, I noticed a field of study you're really interested in was development for women. Um, and so was there anything that maybe like sparked you to like have that focus? Well, you know, uh, from the beginning, no, mm -hmm. because I did not feel any discrimination. What was important is you pass the ex examination. Yeah. But through the years, you can see that, uh, I found, by nature, women are more diligent. Uh, we are prepared to do little jobs which men don't like to do. They, they like immediately to be boss, etc. Whereas the women, I think by nature, we, we, want, we, we are able to do big things and small things, and we don't mind it. It doesn't make me less a person. Make, doesn't make me less a diplomat or if, if somebody needs coffee, I give coffee. It doesn't make me less. But men will ask the women to do it. Yeah. But this is in, in manifested in so many things. And, and I, I felt that uh, in many cases, like in the UN, I was the only woman in many times. So I said, there should be more women. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, diplomacy is a man's world. There are very few women ministers in the world. Yeah? That's why every time I, I chair a roundtable of women ministers, 
I, I tell them you're unique because in many cases out of 50 you have one or two women and so I said that's not fair you should have more women because yeah. we bring in uh, different perspectives not just in diplomacy in business as well and people there's so many studies McKinsey etc etc that say that if you have a woman in the board the company earns more and this is mm -hmm. proven yeah and I so I, I grew up in a situation where boys and girls were treated the same but then when you go up the ladder there's fewer and fewer women yes yeah so it's like an issue of representation just a moment oh, yeah okay that's frankfurt this is the lady who called yeah me. yeah so um it's interesting actually because i was looking at the study of women in the philippines and how um on paper the philippines is a matriarchy and I found that very interesting. Yeah, it, it, a lot of Southeast Asian countries. And I, I think when you study the Philippines, it's also good to see how the others are. Then you can see how we compare. It's always good to compare. I think most Asian countries, uh, Southeast Asia, not, not the other parts, are is, is matriarchal. But when uh, Spain came to the Philippines, mm. in a way they disrupted the family uh, uh, relationships. Uh, they brought in the the, uh, the Napoleonic Code, which is not very uh, positive for women, and it's changed a lot in a way that. Uh, the, the, the macho uh, trait from that culture came to the Philippines. We have women chieftains, we have women uh, uh, who ruled uh, their, their, their towns, etc. That actually leads perfectly into my next question, which is kind of a bit history related. Um, so it was um, in history, what do you think the effects of colonialism have on the Philippines today? Oh yeah, colonialism, uh, wait, wait, you had two different things. You have the Spain, you have Spain, yeah. they, they brought in the, the church. And also the church is very hierarchical and mm -hmm. the church also disrupted a lot of the uh, uh, regional Philippine traits. Uh, and then, of course, uh, American came, and the Americans came with general education, which was deprived of the women during the Spanish regime. The women were told, you stay home, you do embroidery, etc., etc. Americans came, they said, no general education for everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and those two have major... Uh, one brought in the Christianity, of course, and with all the... Uh, traditions of uh, Catholicism and American came with the the first the bunch of Americans who came to the Philippines after the Spanish-American War in 1898 and this is where history is important yeah. uh, after the Spanish-American War they won over Cuba and then, then it was the downfall of Spain 
and uh, the U.S. paid $20 million to take over the Philippines. The first bunch of Americans that came were school teachers mm. on a boat called SS Thomas. So it's important to know history yeah. because then you can link how did it come about, you know. And the first thing they did, and the American president at that time had a policy, the first thing, because they never had a colony before. Yeah. So they said, the first thing we do is to educate them. I see. Yeah. And just so the, 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 that's why the Philippines education is, is a very important thing in the lives of people. Uh, women are prepared to be separated from their families. They come as maids so that they can send their children to university. If you ask many of these maids here, the, the, even if they have to sacrifice, it's because they want mm -hmm. to, their children to have a good education. And so, on the other hand, the Spanish influence, which was more um, religion, I think, and Christianity, what are, the, what are those effects on the Philippines today? Sorry. Um, so well, it, it, uh, like uh, certain traits, like you have to read about the impact of Christianity all over the world. Yeah. It's not just in the Philippines, it's the same thing. And the, the, you know, the, the idea that if you go to church and you pray and etc., you'll be saved, uh, you commit a sin, you go to the priest and you'll be forgiven. It's, it's all of this comes into the character of the Filipino. So, so I keep saying, you know, you look at corruption, you know, they corrupt and then they go to the church and tell the priest, I, and the priest said, you pray 10 times this, etc., etc. You know, that also has an impact on the whole uh, uh, society. I see. So there's this uh, situation where you have the Americans coming with general education and the, uh, the Christianity. Of course, there are positive things about it, to be good, to be whatever, but there are also negative impact. Yeah, in terms of the way people think, the way people behave, you know, uh, and, and of course, if you look at history, Spain came at a time not at their best moment. They came when they were already falling down. Mm, so the, the people who came were not the best that could come, mm -hmm. you know. They were not the uh, examples that you would think would have an impact on the society. Most of them were running away or... Uh, so you have to understand the social structure of the people who came in terms of colonialism. Because 1898, Spain was uh, at its, uh, not at its best, but falling down. And this had an impact in the way they, they, uh, they were, sorry. Yeah, it's my appointment in Frankfurt. Anyway, <laughs> I do 10, 20 things in one. Multitasking. Yeah. Well, women also, that's one thing, multitasking, I tell you. And uh, a man is more, this is his job, he does that. A woman say, say, I'll do this, I'll do that, I can do 
because we take care of both of the home and work. And, and uh, that's why I think the, the role of the Filipino domestic worker influences a lot the kind of successful women in the society. They, they, they become uh, good doctors, they become good uh, lawyers, because their time at home is taken care of by another woman. So people ask me, you know, what was your secret? I said, well, behind every woman, professional, successful, with a family, etc., is another woman mm. who is prepared to do the job. Unless, of course, she's superwoman, that she can have five children and do the, 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 the president of the European uh, Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. Yeah. She has seven children, mm. but she's... And um, are there any such challenges that these domestic workers, aka enablers, face in foreign countries? Sorry. Are there any challenges that um, domestic workers? Oh yes, workers a lot, a lot, are, a lot. Yeah. Some are raped, some are killed, some are abused. I've seen it. You know, I've 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 sat in court to defend them. Oh, I see. There's ten million of them. Yeah. all over the world so you can hear it's 8,000 yeah. did you see a lot of that um, working as an ambassador sorry did you see a lot of yeah, uh, you see in uh, when you go up I did that when I was a consul mm. because then as an ambassador you 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 do other things so there's a divided like 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 a dentist, you start with uh, somebody else and it comes at the end. And uh, as ambassador, you represent the country. The consul, uh, if you look at, there are many stages you have to go through. It took me 20 years to become ambassador. Yeah. So before I became ambassador, I had handled all of those. I see, okay. And to be ambassador is the, the highest point in an embassy. So. Uh, when there is a case of a somebody killed or something, then you there is a consul who does mm. it, because when ambassador speaks, speaks like he's the president, you know, yeah. you are representing the highest level of authority in your country. Could you expand a bit as your um, can you expand a bit about your experience as an ambassador? Sorry. Could you expand a bit about your um, experience as an ambassador? Oh, <laughs> I think you should read the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations because it states exactly what ambassadors do. You represent the country, uh, you negotiate uh, uh, agreements, you uh, sort, I, I have negotiated many agreements, a defense cooperation with Australia, I have uh, uh, negotiated agreements with Germany. I have negotiated agreements with uh, a lot of it in Australia because I was there for seven years. How to promote trade, how to promote uh, investments, how to uh, increase the volume of uh, uh, two-way relationship like uh, in, in, with Australia, we focused on a defense cooperation agreement. 
and you have to know exactly what you want. And, and that's why an ambassador, it, there are some people who jump into becoming ambassador because they, they are friends of, and, and you can see the, the quality of their representation is different. Yeah. If you're a career, then you, you, you know exactly what you're doing. Number one, you are representing the, your country. Representing your country means you work for what is important for your country. With Germany, it was uh, uh, solving a problem on the airport that was a problem, uh, bringing in uh, the uh, uh, trade levels. It's a whole, yeah. it's political, economic, and social. Now, political, you negotiate for agreements. Yeah. Economic, you will promote products, you promote uh, industry. Uh, I, I brought to the Philippines the investment of Lufthansa Technique. Today, they, are, they have about 2,000 people working. Those are the things you do. That's economic diplomacy. But political diplomacy is when you uh, talk about the security, your defense cooperation, in terms of what is... Uh, uh, good in terms of your uh, participation in global peacekeeping, for example. Uh, for example, in, in when I was ambassador to Australia, we made sure that the Philippines was in, engaged in the peace and security of East Timor, etc. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of um, round off, what is some advice you give to young people perhaps considering a career in international relations or diplomacy? One, they should know their country well. Mm. I cannot defend the Philippines if I don't know the history. You know? <laughs> Number two, you have to be passionate about it because you will be shaken left and right. You know? uh, and and if it's, it's a lot of... Uh, knowledge, a lot of experience, and a lot of it in terms of your behavior as a person. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because you can be uh, uh, somebody who, instead of creating friends, you're creating enemies, mm -hmm. you know. It can happen. It's personal uh, development, yeah. But the most important thing is that you know, it's just like any salesman, you must know your product. Mm. You can't sell a, a product if you don't know your product. And the same way with diplomats, it's the same thing. You have to know your country deep and deep and wide. Yeah. I see. Which means a lot of studies, a lot of uh, reading, because today there's just so much to learn about the world. And, and you cannot be left behind. Yeah, People will know if you're left behind easily. Yeah. Yeah.